0: Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Curland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And Dominique, it seems as though we've just had, I think the expression is an abundance of riches. Because we had that amazing podcast where Jesus stepped in and helped us understand better the schedules of reinforcement. And then we had our panel with our guests from last year. And then the two of us went off to the Clicker Expo. So that was a treat. And then this past Sunday, we had the webinar with Dr. Jesus Rizal Ruiz. And that was absolutely phenomenal that was such a good webinar.
1: Yes, so a lot of amazing good input. Yes. A lot to chew on and apply and be inspired by. Yes,
0: and what I thought we would start with, just sort of recapping how we've been utilizing all of this amazing information that we've been very privileged to be able to participate in. So we had the panel on duration, and I split it into a unit, so it spread over four weeks, but it was all recorded in one go, and that was phenomenal. We had Mary Concannon and Michaela Hempen, and Nancy Kelly, and, and Hannah again, and Cindy Martin, and I'm so, and Jane Jackson. I think I remembered everybody. And... One of the questions that you asked was, we were we were talking about different schedules of reinforcement and in building duration. And you asked if I would use the 300-peck pigeon procedure again because yes. that was 20-odd years ago that I developed that. And so that was a long time ago. With, with good results, with, with very good results. With very good results. It was certainly good enough to have intrigued me enough to have shared it, and I put it in the writing book. And we had that lovely surprise where you were surprised at how long ago that had been since that, that the 300-peck pigeon was put into play. And I remember, it was really fun. The, one of the things that Karen Pryor did at the Clicker Expo that I think really sets it apart as a conference is she has an established faculty. So it's very different from other conferences where you, you know, this year you have these presenters, and next year you have those presenters, and the following year you have a completely different cohort of presenters. But with Karen, she really wanted to establish what it means to, in her mind, to be a clicker trainer. So she she in for her own company she refers to it as Karen Pryor clicker training. And there are characteristics that are, that those of us that she invited to be on the original faculty, there were things that we all shared in common. I mean, one of the most basic was that we all follow the the protocol of, if you click, you treat. And one of the things that was so good that Karen did is she wanted to, us to get to know one another. Because on that very first, Clicker Expo. None of us knew each other. I'd never heard of Kathy Sadow. She was a marine mammal trainer. She was, a, you know, a dog trainer. She was off on the other side of the country. None of us knew who Ken. Ram- it's it's astounding to say this, but none of us knew who Ken Ramirez was. We'd never heard of of Jesus, so we were just getting to know one another. But I knew a couple of people through the internet, and. So anyway, Karen invited us all to dinner the night before the Expo started, and that's been a tradition ever since, that we have a faculty dinner the night before the Expo, and it's a lovely time. It's it's a, it's a reunion, really. It starts to feel very much like family and good friends getting together. But that first Expo, I remember walking into the room where we were having the dinner, and it, and I didn't know anybody, and walked into the room and up popped helix fairweather who's a dog trainer and she came bouncing over to me and said i'm just so excited to meet you because i've been reading about the 300 peck pigeon and i have questions and i just i love that because i designed it for horses and yet here was a dog trainer who'd been applying it to her agility training and Ever since then, I've encountered lots of people who, whether they're training dogs or horses or parrots or whatever, who have applied it and applied it in different ways. So I know that it's uh, it's provoked a lot of good thinking over the years. But I haven't really used it in any formal way because... Since then. Since then. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I think about it. Because you haven't it. needed that kind of... Duration. Well, maybe. maybe I have needed that kind of duration, but you know, it's counting is boring. You know, there are, and and the work that I do is it's really built out of shifts of balance, redistribution of weight. You you ask for a couple of steps in this bend and then you change and you ask for a couple of steps over in that bend. And so you're not staying in any one thing for very long. Mm-hmm. And counting is boring, and so <laughs> at clinics, we don't generally do the three hundred peck pigeon because it's not it's not the most amazing spectator sport, as it were right so it was an interesting question of would I still use it mm-hmm. so since we were doing all of this talk about duration, I thought I should go build some duration. Okay. And I should use the 300-peck pigeon. So I went out to the barn and, and just started playing with it. And my conclusion is that, yes, it is, it was a really useful and powerful procedure 20 years ago. And it's still a useful and powerful procedure today. So what did you do? Well... Can you describe
1: especially for people who were not who haven't listened to the uh, the previous podcast what did you do this time in 2019 with your horse <laughs> Well using the, this
0: this progressive schedule the original 300 peck pigeon was designed to help me with a problem that I had with a very young robin in that the we were at a boarding barn and he wasn't getting enough turnout. So it was a real struggle for him to go into the arena at at night and just go into work. That I would get a lot of young horse needing to bounce around, and I was getting some frustration behavior and so on. So, And because I was in a boarding barn, I wasn't in a situation where I could turn him out before I worked with him. You don't always have that luxury. The, especially in the winter when the paddocks were closed and the only turnout that was really available to me was the indoor arena. If there are other people using it, you can't walk in and say, excuse me, my horse needs to be turned out. Could you stop riding now and so my horse can be turned out? And that's not the way boarding barns work. So I needed Robin to be able to go into the arena and just go straight to work and initially he couldn't do it. So I started the 300-peck pigeon protocol using a very simple behavior, because the key to it was that I needed something that was reasonable to build a long duration into. So if I'd asked him to give me a long long stretch of shoulder in for example i might have started to worry about oh you know is this too hard am i asking for too much it might be called the 20 pick pigeon <laughs> right right i didn't i didn't think it was fair to ask him to sustain it mm. for that long period of time that physically that he would get tired so i picked a behavior that he could do which was simply walk next to me and it had a it had a reset so if he grabbed at my sleeve, if he grabbed at the lead rope, that reset the count back to zero. And I would start off and count one stride. And if he could give me one stride that met criterion, I would click and treat. And then my count went up to two. So one, two, click treat. And if that was successful, it went up to three, one, two, three, click treat. And then, And so on. So I just kept increasing by one. But if he, grabbed at the lead rope at any point, or he grabbed at my sleeve, or I would reset and not start over completely from scratch, but if I was heading for a count of, let's say, 10, and at 7 he grabbed at my sleeve, then I would just start counting 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. He grabbed at my sleeve, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 click, treat, and now I'm heading for 11. Mm-hmm. And within, I think it was three nights, I was well over 100, and it was clear if I'd wanted to go to 300, I could get there, That that what he was understanding was the criterion of duration, yeah. that that as a concept he was understanding. And it made a whole lot of things a whole lot better. And I was asking for something simple. So initially getting to 10 was easy. That was totally within repertoire, but he was within those 10, 12 strides, he was offering me fancy. Mm -hmm. And so he was getting a little confused because I wasn't clicking when he was expecting it. Mm -hmm. So there was a bit of extinction that went along with this whole process because for him, even though I was being very consistent by my rules
1: he didn't know it took him a while to know to identify the
0: pattern right. the new criteria. Since he didn't know my rules, mm-hmm. it was at first confusing. Anyway, that was that was then, this was now. And what did you do now? Well what was interesting what I thought was interesting. Which behavior did you use? Walking beside me. Okay. Same behavior. Okay. But what I thought was so interesting was not so much what he did, mm. but how. How I was thinking about it, because when I originally explored what I refer to as the three hundred peck pigeon process, we weren't talking about loops. Mm. We weren't talking about loopy training. We didn't have the loopy training mantra. Yep. So it really was, just keep to your schedule. Mm-hmm. This time round, I think it was colder. Either that or I was colder. I don't know. But the sessions were much shorter because it was cold. There was a limit to how long I could stand to have wet drool on my hands. You know, in the middle of winter when it's that cold and you're feeding without gloves, your hands get awfully cold, awfully fast. So the sessions were shorter. But what I was really paying attention to initially was that base clean loop that I was going to expand. And it was so tempting to just launch off into, let me build duration, because, you know, he's just walking beside me, and he can do that really easily. But there were little things that I didn't want to carry with me, Mm -hmm. you know, as we launched forward. And so just that paying attention initially to... No, I've gotta be good and get a clean loop. So you would reset if you there was any garbage, anything you didn't like. Well what I what I did is I stayed longer in the lower counts. Okay. So, you know, I could get, you know, a count of one and he's perfect. Because, you know, within one stride, there's not a lot of behavior. And this is, well, it depends on the horse. But yeah, I right. But think. this is this is not a naive horse. No, so, no, no, And yeah. two strides. It must have been pretty clean to start with. It was acceptable. Mm-hmm. But what I was finding is that I really wanted to establish that loop solidly first. So I didn't just go one, click, treat, two, one, two, click, treat, one, two, three, click, treat. I set up some parameters. Like I said, he has to do it clean at least, and I've forgotten what, how many it was, but I think initially it was at least three times in a row. And I added in grown-ups are talking. So it was walk forward one stride, click, treat, and then if I walked for I used some of Cindy Martin's expansion of the three hundred peck pigeons. So then it was stand still for one second, click treat.
1: So a little bit of your micro shaping in it too.
0: Yeah, yeah, you could call it that of alternating between two behaviors.
1: Yeah, because you're going to another
0: very safe right, simple right, behavior. Right. And then changing criteria. Right. And when when that was repeatable for three, then we went to two strides, click treat, and then stand still for two seconds, click treat. So you extended both behaviors. I extended both behaviors, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting to do that extension. Now doubt later, when I, when I really launched into the long stretches. You didn't do as long for grown-ups? I actually let the grown-ups drop out. Right, right. Yeah, because that would have bored you. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) I think the interesting part in all of, so just this taking these additional ideas Mm. that as we explore clicker training, as we learn more about teaching better.
1: Yeah.
0: So, you know, the basic idea of clicker training has been well understood for a long time. Mm-hmm. But what we're just learning is how to teach better. Yeah. How to explain it better to our to each other. How to explain it better to our horses. And this loopy training mantra and this starting with a clean loop, it's so important. And then when we had the webinar with Jesus, what does he do but confirm that? Yeah, and with a
1: twenty thousand I don't know, don't remember what the behavior was 20,000 some kind of behavior.
0: Right, that these pigeons, the pigeons could peck for one one reinforcer. They were pecking 20,000 times. <laughs> I'm not going to count that many times. That was done by machine. Right. But the the shift in thinking not of the count, not of the schedule, but of the criterion. That mm-hmm. was, so, was so clear from the webinar yes. and so very powerful. And so a couple of things that emerged with this one was after we'd done just walking and I'd gotten up, we got up to 125, and I and it was clear I could have gone forever, but I was tired of counting. We then changed again, so I would we would go into the arena, and what was interesting because I was watching Robin's behavior through all of this he would come and get me for our play sessions together and if i was a little late he would let me know that i was a little late so apparently going out and walking for 125 steps right around the arena for one click and treat was fun was fun from his point of view because otherwise he wouldn't have he wouldn't have come to get me there are other things that he can do in that barn to entertain himself.
1: And if there had been any negative emotionality, that would not have met criteria.
0: That's right. That's right. So once we were up around 125, and and I was tired of counting, <laughs> we would come in and I would get that count. And then I switched to a different behavior and started building that out. And the different behavior that I switched to was a lateral flexion. Because he's strong enough now, you know, he's not a baby, he's strong enough that he can carry that out for long duration. And what was interesting to me is it was clear that he understood the criterion of of do it longer. I was perfectly happy doing it longer. That was fascinating. But then we had the webinar with Jesus. And if people have not because they can still, they can go to our Equosity.com website, and in the store, they can... They can buy it, yeah. They can buy it, yeah. that's right. And I don't mean this to be an advertisement for it, but it was a really good webinar. Yeah. Anyway. We're
1: shaping these webinars, we're adding things, we added yes. the slides this time, and I think yes. it made for a very, very clear presentation. Yes.
0: Having the slides was phenomenal.
1: And the next one will probably add the
0: videos, which will be even better. We'll experiment with that. That's right. So anyway, so we had the webinar on a Sunday. Monday I went, you know, I was at the barn as as usual. And Robin and I went out for our usual play. And I just decided, based on what Jesus had been talking about with the criterion, that I was going to go back and make my kernel behavior, that kernel loop, even better. So we went back to the original, let's go work on just this really short little segment, and thinking about all the things that Jesus has been sharing with us. I knew that I had to let Robin know that this was different in some way. So I changed slightly the way in which I was initiating the walk-off. Oh. So it's a different cue. In a sense, it doesn't matter, but... Well, it gives people ideas, because sometimes you're like scratching
1: your head. How can right. I let the animal know that this is different? You know, how can I vary my
0: cue? Well, in this case, I, I put my hand on his shoulder. Okay. It was uh, Robin's magic hands position.
1: Which you hadn't been doing before.
0: No, I hadn't used that particular orientation signal for this. But as we played with this, And explored this how did you want to make it better well you can always make things better it's just tidying up because that you know as you do things longer Mm. behavior varies yeah you don't get carbon copies so behavior varies so what was beginning to you know seep in through all of those strides that he'd been giving me, what was seeping in that I wanted to, sort of like your foundation in the basement, you've got water coming in, and now I want to keep it out. So based on what we have been thinking about, what Jesus had been sharing with us, and this whole focus on cues and so on, I got the best transitions from him mm. that I think he's ever, ever, ever given me. Wow! It was really fun session. So I highly recommend the three hundred peck pigeon procedure. <laughs> so after twenty years absence, you still stand by it, with
1: maybe enriching it with the Loopy training perspective.
0: Yes, yes, and remaining flexible in it so there was there's a basic format to it but I varied based on how cold it was based on the horse I was working with etc cetera, etc cetera. how I managed my count had a certain degree of I don't want to say flexibility to it cuz that'll give the wrong impression but it was a study of one design I tailored it to the horse I was working with
1: for example
0: well for example including the grown-ups are talking initially and then letting that drop out Mm -hmm. for example doing the repeats until in the early count to establish that the loop was clean and consistent because it's all well and good to do something right once but can you do it right twice and you have a really solid foundation. Right, right.
1: To build on. Right. Because if you build on a on a so-so foundation, it'll
0: fall apart yeah, at some yeah. point. And then the other fun thing, because it's just it's really been a fun couple of weeks. So this winter, I have two does, two, two goats staying at the barn who were pregnant. And one of them was the mother of two of last year's babies. And she was due in January, so her babies are getting good sized, and I've started introducing them to formal clicker training. And then the other set of twins were born a week before the clicker expo. So they're only two weeks old. But I love this stage of watching, watching them learn about the world. And the the little ones get to go out into the arena and play on the mounting block. And they're just a riot watching them. And because I'd been away at the Clicker Expo for five days, they were—they knew me, but they were outside of the stall. They weren't as comfortable just running up to me as they were in the stall. So for the first couple of days that I was back from the expo, I'd go out and I would sit on the mounting block and they would run back and forth, but they wouldn't approach me. And yesterday, the little boy, Finch, came running up to me and sort of jumped up, front legs up on my on my lap. And I scooped him up and stood up and gave him a ride. And he's just the perfect size to carry around. They're like little puppies. So we went for a little ride. And then I set him down on the top of the mounting block and went back and sat down. And he came running over, jumped in my lap. So I scooped him up again. And, and we went for another ride. And I set him down on the mounting block. And he came racing over. And jumped into my lap again. And I was just thinking about all of our conversations about reinforcers and what is reinforcing. And here you could so clearly see that.
1: Writing is reinforcing for this goat. Writing is
0: reinforcing for this goat because it could have been aversive. Oh, yeah. That he jumped into my lap and I grabbed him. Yeah, you grabbed him. And I held on to him. And then I would see that he wouldn't come running back that he would avoid coming anywhere near me. And instead, it was clear because the behavior of racing over and jumping in my lap was definitely increasing in fact it was increasing to the point that he he wasn't letting his sister have a turn i did manage to squeeze in a couple turns for her and she likes going for rides too and this morning when we were out they were just a riot because they both so wanted to be the one who got a ride and they would leap off the top step of the mounting block, give this huge leap up into the air, land, one, one land, and then, boing, into my lap. And it was it's just so much fun. But you know, it's something that people ask a lot, because with dogs, we can reinforce
1: with toys and uh, play and different, There's there's a lot of variety that you can use. But people ask us sometimes, you know, what can I do, what else besides food? And I think it's something that I would love for us to really dive into and discuss at length. You know, what else but food can we use with our horses to yeah. reinforce
0: them? And how do you know that something is reinforcing? Yeah. So here was a great example. Here was the evidence yeah. that my scooping them up, and and of course, I don't know what part of this. Maybe if I just scooped them up, if I didn't take them for a ride, if I just held them for a few minutes and then let them go, maybe that would be just as reinforcing. Or is going for a ride where they get to be so tall and they get to see the world (laughs) from this great height because goats like being up on things. uh, Maybe that's a a really important part of it. You would have to do a single subject study. Yes, but it's clear that, that my scooping them up and taking them for a ride has increased the frequency of their jumping into my lap and they jump into my lap in a way that allows me to scoop them up really easily it's lovely evidence because we often talk about oh i reinforced my horse for you know whatever and you and gave him a piece of carrot well you gave him a piece of carrot that's true that's an action that you did but first of all you're not reinforcing the horse you're reinforcing behavior and did behavior increase did it stay the same did it decrease so that action of giving your horse a carrot what did it do for you and what did it do for him and so often we forget that part that we just assume that giving your horse a carrot under these conditions is going to reinforce the behavior or Giving your dog a toy under these conditions is going to reinforce the behavior. And with these goats, it was just a lovely, lovely reminder that...
1: If you want to know if it's reinforcing, see if the de- the behavior increases That's right. or not. If it doesn't increase, it's not a reinforcer in this condition at this time. That's right. Because the same carrot or the same treat may be reinforcing in one situation but not in another. That's right. That's right. And even within the same session, if you're using something and the dog or the horse expects something else... That's right. If in your pouch you have cheese and kibbles, and once in a while you give kibble, once in a while you give cheese, well, there might be some disappointment when kibble arrives after cheese.
0: Hopefully you're giving it to your dog and not to your horse, because I think there would be instant, (laughs) (laughs) what are you giving me? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. And even with the little goats, if their mother had disappeared, if she'd gone back into the Mm. barn aisle,
1: not fun anymore. Not fun
0: anymore. That's right.
1: That's what's so fascinating about reinforcers, you know, which is why I would really like for us to explore that more because there's primary reinforcers, secondary reinforcers, and there's all the context in which these reinforcers are being given to the animal. And it's really fascinating, and it's very important to understand because otherwise you could say, well, what's wrong? I gave him his tree. I gave I gave the horse the carrot. I don't understand why was it working. He knows this behavior and everything else that goes with it. So it's a great subject. Yes, <laughs> great topic. Yes. Yeah, you know what I like about everything that you've been saying today is that, first of all, I love to hear someone like you who has so much experience get so excited about new well new information or information that you're reusing or... I love the fact that it's ever evolving. And this is part of what I love about that faculty is that they're always at the Clicker Expo. You know, when you said Helix Fairweather came to you and said, I have a question. I love that, you know, that people who are experts are still having questions, are still excited about learning. I love that. Yes. Because in, I've been exposed to a lot of traditional trainers who make it sound like, first of all, it's all about them and their talent, and that's that they have the formula. They know how to do it. Yeah, You know, it's like set. It's done. But here we're talking about a community who is looking at science and therefore constantly evolving.
0: And we're also looking at our animals. Yeah. So it's our animals that really push us to learn more because especially with horses when you think oh I now know it all (laughs) you know Mm. well don't get too cocky because the next horse or even the same horse is going to be saying you think you've got it all figured out well here figure this one out well now I'm 28 years old and it's something else that's right that's right so horses are Nothing if not complicated in that they are living beings, they're intelligent, they have a rich emotional life. And their learning experience makes them different.
1: Yes, yeah. They're not the same as they were yesterday because they learned something else today. That's right, that's right. Sometimes they learn good things and sometimes not so
0: good. Yeah, and the horse that I was working yesterday is not the horse I'm working today because... Because he learned to peck 300 times yesterday. Yeah, right. Because he's had life experience over the last 24 hours. And yes, there's repertoire that carries over, but there is learning that's occurred.
1: Because I'm a goat
0: and I learned how to ride yesterday. So, So now
1: it's different. I'm a different animal. Yes,
0: I learned how to, I learned how to get this human to take me for a ride, which is really fun, and I like going for rides. And I also learned Alex and
1: her riding goats. Yes,
0: and I also learned how to push my sister out of the way so that I could get to the fairground ride before she first. First, yes, I got <laughs> to go on the Ferris wheel before my sister got to go on the Ferris wheel, and there was only room for one. So, so there, yes have to manage that. I think the other thing that I really enjoy about the whole clicker training community is our understanding that we can learn from one another and not just hold on to your knowledge and not share. And not just, well, she works with parrots, I can't learn from her. She works from dogs, I can't learn from her.
1: Mm, Yeah, that too.
0: Which is, of course, one of the exciting things, because coming up, we've got uh, a great opportunity to learn from a canine clicker trainer, because we're going to be doing a podcast with Sarah Owings, which is very exciting. So uh, that's something to look forward to in the next podcast. And I think probably at this point we should think about winding down and we'll let we'll send people off to experiment with their own forms of building duration and building clean loops and exploring what all of these ideas give to them with their own animals good idea yes so until next time uh, we'll wish everybody happy training you heard our news Next week we'll begin a new series with a conversation with Sarah Owings. Our talk centered around the presentation I gave at the Clicker Expo this winter. The title of the talk was, Cues Evolve Out of the Shaping Process. There were some elements in my talk that got Sarah thinking about cues from a different angle. So we took advantage of her questions to record a podcast. Part one will air next week. And if you want to listen to the webinar that we did with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz, go to our Equocity.com website. We have a store in the website, so just look in the menu bar and you'll find it. And when you go to the store, you'll see the webinar listed. You can access both the, an audio recording and we also have an, a video recording, which includes all of the slides. So until next time, have fun with your training.